Today we're kicking off a new series on relationships, and one of the best books I've ever read on relationships is this book, Boundaries. Many of you have perhaps read it. If you have not, during this series, we want to give it to you. So there is a stack in the back. Um, you're welcome to just pick one up. Excellent book on relationships. I think if we were to ask, what is the source of greatest joy in your life, many of us, most of us, would probably say something related to relationships. It's the moment you fell in love. It's the moment that you adopted your child. It's the moment that you held your newborn for the first time. It's a family vacation memory. It's a time where you gathered with friends and had good food and good wine. If we were to say, what, what are the sources of greatest joy in your life? Most of us would say relationships. Now, on the flip side, if we were to go around and say, what's been the greatest source of pain in your life? What would most of us say? Relationships. Like, it's that moment when someone that you were close with, that relationship all of a sudden is marked with distance, or pain, or betrayal, or abuse. It's when your formerly close relationship with your parents becomes distant, tricky. For some people, you know, this is a common one. It's, um, it's just the loneliness of, I have a lot of people in my life who need me, who want a piece of me, but don't really know me. I seem to only be of value to them for the power position that I afford them. That's a lonely way to live. If we were to say, what's the greatest source of joy? Most of us would say something related to relationships. What's the greatest source of pain? Most of us would say something related to relationships. For better or for worse, relationships are a big deal in our lives. Like, there's nothing in the world that matters like relationships. And the Bible has so much to say about relationships, about loving others well. And in this series, what we're going to do is we are going to explore five ways to kill a relationship, ways in which the Bible talks about core sins that we bring to relationships, and then what we want to do is we want to look at the nature of what we're all really yearning for in relationships, and that's love and connection. And specifically, we want to look at the nature of God's love, to think about that, to think about how to receive that, and then how to give that to others. Perhaps the number one way to kill a relationship is to be proud. Pride kills relationships. So this morning we're going to talk about pride and brown bear and Mary Zong. That's where we're headed. Pride, brown bear, and Mary Zong. But pride is a relationship killer. And here's the crazy thing about pride. Um, most of us don't think we have it as a problem. Um, I would venture to guess those listening right now when you hear, oh, we're, you know, we're going to talk about how pride kills relationships. Um, many people are probably listening thinking, man, I wish so-and-so was here for this. Maybe I will get online and send them the link. Most of us don't think we have a problem with pride. 
we tend to think that's somebody else's problem. No one wants to think of themselves as arrogant. And nobody wants to be friends with somebody who's super proud and arrogant and conceited. I mean, think about it. Like, when you call tech support, and the person on the other end of the line is talking down to you like you are seven, do you want to invite that person over for dinner? Or let's say you go to your kid's soccer game, and you're sitting there watching the game, and the parent next to you is like, yeah, my kid got straight A's, and they got invited to this leadership conference next summer, and they scored eight goals in the last game. You're thinking to yourself, like, I think I'm going to sit on the other side of the field next time. Nobody wants to be friends with somebody who's super arrogant, conceited. No one wants to think of themselves that way. There is a kind of overt egotism that we all kind of go, mm, uh, ugh. But then there's the sort of pride that is found in good, respectable, church-going people. And this is the kind of pride that secretly says inside things like this, I would never fill in the blank. I would never send my kid to a private school because I'm a public school person. Or... I would never send my kid to public school because I'm a private school person. It goes both ways. Like this kind of pride that finds identity and worthiness in commitments like I would never, this kind of pride, it's found in the rich and the poor. It's found in conservatives and progressives. It's found in people who are contemplative by nature and people who are activists by nature. This is the kind of pride that says, I would never fill in the blank. Like, I would never drive that kind of car. can go both ways. I would never live in that kind of neighborhood. I would never let my kid do that activity, watch that much screen time. I would never, when we find ourselves saying, I would never fill in the blank, we can very often find pride lurking behind the scenes. The essence of pride is selfish individualism, selfishness. It's a love that places me first. It's a love that seeks to find worthiness and identity in labels. I would never vote that way because I'm this kind of person. I would never do that to my kids because I'm this kind of parent. This kind of pride seeks to gain one up on other people, even if it is privately in your mind, by identifying your worthiness as rooted in some label that you've attached your ego to. Pride says then, me first. It says to relationships, you're only valuable to me insofar as you help me. You don't help me, you're no longer valuable to me. But the Bible says do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. See, the word pride, it's a funny word, because it can mean a lot of things, and not all of them are bad. You can have pride in a job well done. You can take pride in your 
children's accomplishments. But when the Bible talks about the kind of pride that kills relationships, when the scriptures speak about a pride that is sin, it's a different sort of pride. It's the pride that builds ourselves up at the expense of others. It's a pride that thinks of ourselves as superior to to others because of who we are or what we've done. So in this passage, when Paul uses this in verse 3, it's translated empty pride or vain conceit or a groundless self-esteem. See, a groundless self-esteem is a self-esteem that is not grounded in something that will last. A groundless self-esteem is a pride that says, I will never because my self-esteem is rooted in this thing. And it's a groundless self-esteem. The scriptures say God hates pride. And we read some very serious passages about pride, that pride is deeply offensive to God. Because here's the thing, God is the only one who's truly above all others. And so those who know him know that in comparison, we're nothing. Like in comparison to God, there's no room for pride. So Proverbs, quite serious. We read everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Whew, don't hear that word too often. Psalm 138 says, for though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. For us to be proud in the way the Bible's talking about it, it's almost like an ant crawling along the ground saying, I am the strongest of creatures, only to look up and see like the sole of someone's shoe coming down. Or to be proud would almost be like a horse running super fast, saying to all the other horses, I'm the mightiest and fastest of all creations, and then looking up and seeing a fighter jet go by. In light of who God is, there is not room for this pride. So you want to kill a relationship? Say to yourself, that's somebody else's problem. You want to kill a relationship? Be proud. Now let's talk for a minute about the antidote to pride. And to do that, I want to talk about brown bear. So my son, Russell, when he was little, he got this bear from Build-A-Bear. And it was uh, a bear that he just instantly took to. And brown bear became his best little buddy. I can remember being with our dear friends, Bill and Kate. Russell was like pre-verbal. He was not even really speaking. And they saw that Russell was super attached to this little bear. And we were having dinner together. And they're like, oh, Russell, what's your bear's name? And um, we said for him, this is brown bear. And they started teasing us so bad. They were like, oh, super creative, you guys. Like, you must have given that a lot of thought. And uh, just like a little bit later, that same evening, their daughter has this little stuffed animal, and we're like, oh, Micah, we love your monkey. What is her name? Blue monkey. <laughs> it's like just only so much creative energy you can have in these seasons of life. But here's the thing. Russell loved brown bear. 
like when Russell would eat, Brown Bear would eat with him. When Russell would sleep, Brown Bear was sleeping next to him. If Russell could get away with it, when Russell would take a bath, Brown Bear would be with him. It was like Russell loved Brown Bear with a love that was too much for even Brown Bear's own good. And pretty soon, Brown Bear is looking super shabby. Like his fur is all coming off, his stuffing is out, we're like re-sewing him. Russell loved Brown Bear with like a love that was too strong for words. You guys, last summer, we lost Brown Bear. And I am not going to lie, Russell is not the only one who has cried about this loss. And even standing here right now, I would go to irrational lengths to get that bear back. I would. I would go to irrational, unbelievable lengths to get that bear back if I could. You know, the antidote to pride, not just like a superficial humility, but the antidote to pride is for you and I to see ourselves as brown bear. Now, here's what I mean. Why are we so sad to not have brown bear? Like, where did this value for brown bear come? It's interesting when it comes to valuing things. Because we value a lot of things, don't we? Like, if you have a car right now, we could get out Kelly Blue Book and we could look up the value of your car. If you own a home, we could go on Zillow right now and get a Zestimate for your home. See, many things we value because they can be monetized. They're valued for selfish gain. They're valued because we could turn around and sell them and make some money. It's interesting because in our insecurities, we look for labels to define our worth. But if you're brown bear, your worth is 100% in being loved. That's it. That's your worth. Your worth is 100% in being loved. It's not because you're shiny or new or because we could go sell you. If you're brown bear, your worth is 100% rooted in being loved. See, there are things that you and I will love because they're lovely. Nothing wrong with that. I love Larimer School Square. It's lovely. I love Wash Park. It's lovely. There are things that we will love because they are lovely. And then there is a different kind of love. There's a love of another kind. And it's a love that does not love that which is already lovely, but it is a love that creates value. It is a love that is for the raggedness. And that raggedness through that love becomes royalty. So you see that kind of love, that different kind of love in a ragged little doll or a cheap little cloth monkey or a crummy old pillow. Like if you have eyes to see it, you will see 
It is the love of God for you and me, and it is the love of God for the most difficult people in your life. It's a love of another kind. See, God's love is not the kind of love that loves that which is already shiny and new. God's love is a kind of love that creates value, a kind of love that transforms raggedness, a kind of love that doesn't see what's already valuable, but creates value in what it sees and in all it sees. This is love, not that we loved God, but that God loved us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God's love created value in loving the ragged old stuffies in you and me. This is what the Bible refers to as agape love. It's a sort of love that changed the world. It's the reason that we're here. The scripture passage for today says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who... Being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Why did Christ do that? Why would I go to irrational lengths to get brown bear back if I could? Because of Russell's love for him. Why did Christ go to irrational lengths to win his lost people back? Why did he leave heaven, come to earth? Because you're just that valuable. See, pride is rooted in this idea of, I would never because I'm this, and my identity is in this label. But the antidote to pride is no. My identity is not in any of those labels. My identity is in being loved. My identity is I am the brown bear that God would go through any length to get back. That's where my worthiness is. That's where my worth is found. This past week, uh, man named Virgil Staples died. And Virgil Staples was a man in my home church growing up. First he was an elder at that church, and then after a while he was a pastoral care pastor at that church. And he, his life, he, he influenced thousands of people's lives. He was the kind of guy who you just spent time with, he just radiated love. Like you would go talk with him and you would be like, you just tuned into it different frequency. And um, I have not been in touch with him in years, but when I heard that he had passed away, I actually cried, I think just because it was like a life well lived. You know those people where you're in their presence and you're just like, I just want to love more just being around you. He just lived such a, a life of selfless love. And his life wasn't easy, he lost his first wife, um, then later remarried. He had a lot of hardship, but those hardships did not make him bitter. They actually somehow made him better. 
And when he died, I started texting my family uh, to share the news, and everybody started texting back Virgil quotes. Like one of the things that Virgil said that I loved is he said, um, if you want to have a great relationship, uh, make it your business to outdo one another in self-denial. I love that. Outdo one another in self-denial. My dad texted and he said his favorite Virgil quote was when Virgil said, um, the 10 most important words in marriage are... I was wrong. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? This man knew Jesus. My brother said, he texted a Virgil quote, and he said um, he can remember being an intern at this church one summer, and Virgil said, the very most that I could ever give in light of what Christ has done for me is the least that I could do. He was a man who radiated agape love, selfless love. And here's the thing. There will just be times in life in our relationships where we cannot. We don't have the patience. We do not have the endurance. We absolutely do not have within ourselves the love for that moment. But what I observed in Virgil's life, it's just this simple idea that when I can't, God can. That you are tapped into an infinite source of peace and joy and love in Jesus, and when you can't, he can. And we're going to talk in the weeks to come about the importance of self-care and boundaries and all these things. Yes, of course. And for today, I just want to say that when we can't, God can. And you see this in a life like Virgil's who is just well-lived. See, when Jesus came, he brought with him a profound understanding of love and a profound ability to give love. And it was totally unique what Jesus brought. The world really had not known it before, and it launched a movement, which is why we're here now. There's a disciple of Jesus named John in the Bible, and um, it's interesting because in the Gospel of John, we read that John is the disciple that Jesus loved. Jesus loved all his disciples. Why is it that John is referred to as the disciple that Jesus loved? One New Testament scholar, N.T. Wright, says that John was likely the youngest of all the disciples in a culture that valued age. John outlived all the other disciples. He was likely the youngest. He could have said of himself, I'm the youngest, least valued, least mature, least strategic. I'm the youngest. But where was his identity rooted? I am the one. I'm the disciple whom Jesus loved. Like, I might be brown bear in all these ways, but you know what matters most? I'm the one that Jesus loves. This is to have a grounded self-esteem rather than a groundless self-esteem. To be proud is to have a groundless 
self-esteem, a self-esteem that is rooted in labels that may come and go. To be truly humble as Jesus is to have a grounded self-esteem rooted in the never-changing, unending love of God. And this disciple named John, he wrote some words to a little community, and we could just think of these words as written to you and I. This is what he said, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. As we close, I want to tell you about a woman named Mary Zong. This is a picture of Mary. She was in my home last Sunday evening, and it is a night I will not soon forget. When Mary left, Tim and I embraced, and I looked up at his face, and we both with just emotion that was palpable, with you know, tears in our eyes, Tim just had three words. He just said, gift gift, gift. Nine years ago, Mary started a small little uh, foster home in Shanghai called Lupin Center. And she brings in orphans, abandoned babies with um, known medical conditions. In this little home, she, uh, oh, well, she only takes in 12 babies at a time. And she has seven nannies. And she is armed with this understanding of the importance of bonding and attachment in those first days and months of a newborn's life. And you guys, my daughter Lila was loved and cared for by Mary Zong. And so last Sunday, Mary was in town and we hosted a gathering for her and about 10 other families in the front range who have lupin babies, babies who were cared for by Mary. See, there is a love that loves only that which is shiny and new, that which already dazzles and sparkles and shines. And then there is a love that creates value. And there is a God who did not love you and I because we were sparkly and new. He did not leave heaven to earth to die on a cross for people who already had their act together, already thought the right things, already had a basic morality. No, he came to rescue and redeem the brown bear, the ragged stuffy in all of us. And as we are rooted in that love, pride just doesn't make sense anymore. 
and in relationship with one another, we know what it looks like to love even the raggedness in each other. We love because God first loved us. Let's pray together as we close. Lord Jesus, we thank you that being in very nature God yourself, you did not consider equality something to be grasped. Rather, you made yourself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. And being found in obedience, you humbled yourself to become obedient to death, even death on a cross. God, would you show us what it looks like to be rooted not in the labels that we've come to know and see ourselves by, but to repent of all that and rather to be rooted, to have a worthiness that is rooted in your love. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.